This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerus, CPA with Parmels and Associates. I always get to comment, how did you think of that for an episode? It was exactly what I've been going through, about to go through, had gone through, you name it. Just like this week, these are all real life conversations that I've had with my client. And in this case, these all really happened over the last like week and a half. And a lot of it is how I come up with my ideas. And I always tell people it's kind of creepy because usually when a topic comes up multiple times in a couple of days, then instantly the light bulb in my head was like, wow, if I've already had two of my clients talk about this, everyone's probably wondering the same thing. And even if one of my clients asks something that I think, whoa, no one has ever asked me that, but this is a really cool one. This is when I give it to you guys. If it sounds like, hey, other shops must be thinking this too, it is. You guys are all very different. You guys are all across the country on it. There's a lot of commonality and maybe if it's not exactly like your situation, it's good because you never know what the future holds. This week, we're going to go over three different instances where my clients all either started the conversation or ended it with. So this week, we're going to go over three different instances where my clients all either started the conversation with or ended it with, is my business worthless? Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. For over 30 years, Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. It's time to hire a superstar for your business. What a grind you have in front of you. Great news. You don't have to go at it alone. Introducing Promotive, a full-service staffing solution for your shop. Let them do the heavy lifting. Enlist your hiring partner at gopromotive.com. We all know that shops are bought and sold with really one metric and one metric alone, and that is a multiple of net income. Essentially, how much do you make on an annual basis and multiply times three, and you're probably pretty close to what your shop is worth. So, What do you do if you don't actually have any income or you're actually losing money? Never going to be negative. You're not going to pay someone to take over your business. So essentially, if you call your income zero, three times zero is still zero. Ten times zero is still zero. It doesn't matter what multiple. If the business is making no money, then it doesn't matter if they give you the highest multiple in the world. The value is still going to come to nothing. So what do we do? This is probably the most common of the three examples that we're going to go through tonight, but unfortunately, it might hit a lot closer to home than the last two examples. This first example I'm going to talk about and identities, and to a certain degree, some things have been changed to protect the innocent here, but I think it's a story that a lot of people have seen, and some of you might have had this shop, have this shop, or even bought this shop. This client that I was talking to was a longtime client. Honestly, one of my first clients, super good guy, awesome guy, known him for years. Yeah, can't say enough nice things about him. So when I first met him, his shop was completely different than what it is today. And this is really common. He's getting to the point where he's planning to retire. He could probably retire. I'm sorry. He could definitely retire right now if he wants to. He is working because he still wants to, but was looking at options of, hey, one day I might just be like, I've had enough of this. What are my options here and and what would you do if I was in your shoes? 
to tell a little bit about his shop, like I said, it had done more sales years and years ago. They had done some other stuff. They'd sold a bunch of used cars. Flash forward to today, he's got a couple people in there, some part-time, but really have kind of cranked down as far as volume and become a lot more selective. I would say now he's probably doing $600,000 in sales, right around there, and a super selective about work. We were kind of just going down through the first three quarters of this year, and his quarterly sales were all within maybe a thousand bucks. It was crazy. The kind of consistency that he's putting there is one of the things that I wanted to illustrate to him. A couple other shops in town had closed down, which this is a little bit of a precursor for some of these other examples. But he's really, in this town, one of the few shops left over, and he has more work that he knows what to do with. Like, not some people say, oh, I got more work than new to do with, and that means like a week here, two weeks there. No, consistently. Like, they only work on stuff that they want to and that they are going to be paid accordingly for. And I really respect that because he's at the point in his career where he's like, I don't want to deal with jerks. I don't want to deal with people that are not going to respect me, not going to respect my team. And honestly, if it seems like a terrible job, I don't want to do it. My guy doesn't want to do it. So we're not going to do it. He's not rude about it, but he's just honest of like, oh, we're not saying that we can't fix that. We could. It's just not for us to take that somewhere else. But what that has allowed him to do is hit virtually the same exact amount of sales for three quarters in a row for a business of this size is almost unheard of. But what I explained to him is, hey, you guys work. They have consistent work that comes through. It's not like that they're working 10 hours a week. Now they do take off some time and they will take more four-day weekends or three-day weekends than the average. But I said, hey, this is exactly why your sales are this consistent. You guys are doing pretty much the most amount of work that you could with the time allows it. Why would it look any different? There's no swings because you guys always have work as much as you want to do it. Now, like I said, though, is this necessarily the best business to sell to someone else? You might be thinking to yourself, wait, he's turning people away. He's saying, no, go somewhere else. I would never want that. And maybe you don't but you have a lot different perspective and you have a lot different intentions of what you want to get out of your business. You're self-employed for a reason, so you can do what you want. And this is what he wants to do. And he's doing it very well. Now, the conversation came up of, all right, what are we going to do as far as selling this business? He owns a real estate too. We'll see a little bit later. Not the biggest world. But if someone was coming into this buy this business, they would not be able to or probably want it to run the same way that my client is. And this is a really, really common aspect of this. My client is making money. My client's profitable. And he said, if I'm not profitable, I'm just going to stop. There's no point. I'm not doing this to pay someone else. I'm still making money on here. I just don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. He's invested smartly. He's good with his money. And he just doesn't truly need it right now. And his peace of mind, his time with his family are much more important than driving every last cent to the bottom line. That goes with a number of things, how he staffs it, how he pays people, what kind of expenses run through the business, how much rent he pays, et cetera, et cetera. If someone was going to come in and and buy this shop, especially if they're doing this from a strictly investment purpose, they would not be able to run the shop the way that my client does because he obviously would be gone and he's working in there every single day. And it leaves you with not enough people to truly staff that business. By the time someone came in there and hired a technician, a service advisor, and in a lot of cases, maybe not as much on this one, paid an actual fair market value rent, maybe that business is actually no longer profitable. 
So it's great to look at it and say, hey, Mr. XYZ shop owner, your business is profitable, but if I bring this into the 21st century and outfit this correctly, this is no longer going to generate me a net income. Three times zero is zero. I'm not going to give you anything for your business. So what? Just closing the doors, give it away. It's not worth anything, huh? You said if there's no income, then the business is going to come up with zero value. Now, when I do calculations, when I do valuations for people, I always give out the disclaimer. Hey, what I'm putting here on paper is not meant to offend you. This is strictly numbers. And in a lot of cases, I think that the valuation comes in fair. Other cases, I look at this and say, hey, on paper, this is exactly right. But here's why we're going to depart from that number. Just like anything else, numbers don't lie, but there's a lot of situations where they can't be used without any sort of adjustment or any sort of kind of backstory. And at the very least, a business is always worth something, even if it's just liquidation value. These guys have tools. These guys have lift. These guys have equipment. It's not like they're doing this in the dark ages. Even if nothing else, you could still always have an equipment auction for your inventory, whatever parts you have laying around there, equipment, stuff like that. But there's a lot of other things that go into this. So first and foremost of why your business has value, and this could also be used as another way of, hey, I'm looking at one of these businesses. I'm trying to buy one of these businesses. And how would you value something like this? And I'm not going to give you the exact answer because every situation is a little bit unique. But a couple of things that I always take into consideration when I'm educating my clients, whether they're the buyer or the seller here. First and foremost is reputation. Reputation is extremely important for a business because not only is that going to be what you're going to stand on to attract new customers, it's probably also a very good representation of how you treat your current customers. If you see a business that has one star and they have hundreds of reviews, it's not like they have one review and one star, but they got 100 reviews and a one, one and a half star average rating. Do you think that they have a high level of trust with their customer base? Do you think that you are going to have a hard time trying to bring new customers into that business, especially if you keep the same name? No. And what we see here is one of two cases. If I have a client going to buy someone else and they have a really strong reputation, they've been around that community for a while, they're a trusted name on it. My clients generally like to ride on those coattails and keep that name or some way keep that name going forward. So if you have Steve's Auto Repair, even if your name is Greg on it, when you buy Steve's Auto Repair, if Steve had a really good name in town, you probably don't want to change that too quickly. You know what? Steve's stepping back on there, but we're continuing on his legacy. You want to kind of ride that. Now, if Steve was an absolute crook and he had really stolen from a bunch of people, then yeah, maybe there is no reputation value there. And you want to sing it from the hilltops. Steve is gone. Greg is in town and we're going to take care of you. But just like I was explaining to my client, hey, your reputation, your name of how long you've been in town, you've been in town longer than anyone else here. You guys do great work. You guys have a stellar reputation on this. Someone is going to have value on that. And he says, well, Hunt, how would you evaluate that? And this is really common that either I have my clients, generally not my clients trying to sell their reputation on it. But my clients know someone around town that's looking to retire and he's like, hey, I want to sell my reputation. I want to sell my customer list. How do you put a value on that? And realistically, if you're closed down, and we'll talk about this in a second, if you close down your reputation, your client list, it's worthless. You already know you're retired. They already know you're gone. The ship has kind of sailed on that. But let's say that you're treading water here, running a hobby shop, as I like to call it, meaning, hey, we're in there, we're running the shop, but we're going to do cool stuff. We're going to do fun stuff. 
and probably work on some toys every now and then. Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice, and having a local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, our representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business with a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Are you tired of spending endless hours searching for the perfect talent to join your team? Promotive is your full-service automotive staffing solution. At Promotive, we believe in being more than just a recruiting agency. We become an extension of your team working tirelessly to ensure we place the right talent with the right shops. With our always-be-recruiting mindset, we're constantly seeking out the best professionals in the industry. We manage 90-95% to of the recruiting process, taking the burden off your shoulders. When you partner with Promotive, you gain a dedicated recruiter and account manager who will work closely with you, understanding your unique requirements and seeking out candidates who fit seamlessly into your shop's culture. We'll ensure that every candidate we present is thoroughly vetted and aligned with your needs. With Promotive, you'll have a peace of mind knowing that we're handling the recruitment process with expertise and precision. We don't just match resumes, we match character, culture, and long-term success. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and experience the power of Promotive's expertise and dedication. Together, we'll build a stronger and more successful team. So I'll give you two examples here. I'm going to be the lesser or lessee, right? I'm going to be one renting this building from you. And so you got two choices. You can sign a lease, you can come in and you can start with the equipment that's in here, nothing else. No reputation, no name, free to call it whatever you want, no business, no employees, no customer list on it, absolutely free. Or you know what? My previous tenant, he's getting up there in age, he was doing over half a million dollars a year, but just hanging it up. And for $10,000, we can make sure that kind of continues to carry on. We don't have any sort of stop here where you guys have to shut down. You could just kind of smoothly go in and take it over. He said he'd be fine leaving the signs up there and you kind of running under his reputation. For $10,000, would you do it? Probably. $50,000? Man, it depends on how good their reputation. $100,000? That might be getting a little bit steep there. But what I want to illustrate here is, hey, if given the opportunity to go in there with absolutely nothing or to kind of take over where someone left off there, there's always going to be a value there. There's going to be an easy button. Think about how much money you have to spend in advertising in order to build up a reputation, in order to build up a customer base like that. And even more so on the reputation, that's time. You don't build a reputation after three months. You don't build a reputation after six months. You build a reputation over six years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. And a lot of times there, you just can't even put a price on that because you can't create that yourself and you definitely can't create that overnight. Now, another aspect here is your team. Hey, you have a couple really good players in this shop. Someone would be interested in this shop if for nothing other than the people that you have in the building. And also right now, this is very front of mind for people. It is the number one thing I hear people complain about. People struggling can't find good help. 
how much would you be willing to spend to find a new technician? Would you be willing to pay 20 grand if all you got out of that business was the three good technicians that they had? 50,000, 100,000, probably depends on where you are and, and how good these technicians are. But I've seen a couple situations like this where my client, I say, man, why would you even want that shop? And they say, you know what? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give it a go because I think that everything that I touch turns to gold and it's worked out well for a lot of them. But hey, if nothing else, if I could pick up that service advisor, I know him from around town. That guy's good. Shows up, knows how to sell. Customers love him. They also got two rock star technicians in the back. So I'm thinking, even if this isn't all it's cracked up to be, I'll grab those people and I'll still be happy with what I paid. Reputation, your team, is a lot of times really what you're selling. Sometimes the equipment just goes along with it. Or hey, maybe your reputation, your team is really good. Owner's just not pricing or running the business well enough to generate a profit. Even if you are not profitable, end of the day, if you got a business that's touching five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars a year, there's always going to be someone that's willing to take a shot on this. This is a perfect situation for a technician looking to go out on their own. Do you want to start this completely fresh or do you want to get the easy button? Pay me $100,000, pay me $200,000 and take over where I left off and really just take off and fly. Especially for these smaller shops that are not staffed correctly. If you're willing to be that owner operator or that was your plan all along, this might be exactly what you're looking for. If you're taking over a shop that's got two technicians and no service advisor, because that was the owner, and you were planning to write service anyways, then perfect. Why am I going to pay this extra value to a business that has an advisor that I might end up firing anyways? We're not going to get into the fact of, hey, owner's not being on the counter, it's hard to get out of and all that stuff. Just follow me along here. And honestly, if this shop is in a decent area and they have a decent customer base, I've seen a lot of my clients do really well on this. What I tell people is there's a tale of two cities for these cheap shops. There's some that are cheap for a reason, and there's some that are cheap because the owner just ran out of energy. One foot out the door, team not super motivated. They still got loyal customers that just really drop the keys off and say, hey, tell me when it's done. I don't care about price on it. And my clients have been able to come in there with a renewed sense of energy, polish the thing up, get some paint on it, get some new equipment in there, and really light a fire and just take off because... These businesses generally have stellar reputation. They have these loyal customers that aren't really concerned about price. There's a huge level of trust built up there. And if someone in can come in with that renewed sense, that owner probably had 40 years ago, you can really turn a cheap situation around pretty quickly. Now, I got to talk about the other side of the coin on it. I've seen these ones be maybe the old case of that seems too good to be true or hey, it's priced that low for a reason. If you go and you're looking at a shop and you're like, man, Steve had a great reputation there, but he was charging 65 bucks an hour. I don't care how good of work that you do. If you're going to go up to a normal, regular rate of, let's say, $110, you're going to lose a lot of your customer base. Even if they love Steve, it's going to be hard to go in there and mark it up 40% right off the bat, even if that's where they should have been. Because if you're charging that low, you're definitely going to have a lot of price shoppers. And as soon as you are not the cheapest person in town, they're going to go away. Also, there's just some places that are really hard to do business. Maybe it's not in the right neck of the woods. Maybe the customer base around there just isn't good. And he tried. He was a good business owner. Just couldn't make any money on it. So who are you to think that you could do better? Always looking at the story, always looking at the background on it and trying to read a little bit deeper into why things are happening. If you are the one selling it, hey, don't fret. Even if you're not losing money, even if you're not making money, not making a ton of money, 
there's always be someone to willing to buy it, especially if you're going to be willing to kind of negotiate that price and take someone reasonable, given what your financials look like, you're going to have probably a pretty easy time selling that to a number of different types of interested parties. These next two examples are something that you might not have ever thought of, but neither did my clients. Maybe this will get your brain moving in a different direction. The first example I'm going to talk about here, again, identities have been changed to protect the innocent, but is something I would say is becoming more and more common as I continue on down this career path. What happened here is, I know the real story, but I'm going to try to change it a little bit. I don't want, some people know that I talk about them, but I also like to kind of protect it because some of these are kind of specific. And if you're smart enough, you can probably figure out who it is. They're down South and a sport team wants to move into their area. And realistically, what they're doing is they're kind of in an industrial area right now. They plan to build a new stadium and they've already started a process and have already bought up a lot of land around there. They've been talking all about this. It's pretty big news for this city and they've laid out their master plan. My client knows where they are. They're included in that master plan. I think that their shop and their parking lot is actually where a parking garage is going to be. It's already laid out there, which is kind of funny that they come up with this master plan when at that point, when they laid it out, they had only owned like a tenth of all of the acreage that they needed to own. So anyways, we've been talking about this, I guess, maybe for a year or so of, hey, I think these guys, they've kind of approached me. And anytime that you have something like this, you have a couple different people that will approach you. You'll actually have the main people that are buying this, that are ones actually building this stuff and owning it. You also have speculators, real estate investors that get wind of this and they try to swoop in there early and buy your business so that they can turn around and sell it to the people that are ultimately going to build the stadium there. But anyways, they have a business, the business is making money here, but they know they are never going to be selling this shop to someone else. They're not going to continue on this legacy. The shop is going to cease to exist. And in this situation, more or less, their shop is worthless. No one's going to want your repair shop. No matter who you sell this to, I guarantee that they're going to let you keep their equipment because whatever is out of there is going to be easier for a bulldozer to run through it. Now, luckily for my clients, they own the real estate. They know more or less they are walking away from their business, but luckily they own the real estate. Now think for a second of how bad a shape they'd be in if they were leasing here. And then this is one of the biggest things that I preach about buying the dirt. You control your own destiny and have eggs in two baskets. Because everyone says, hey, my business is my retirement plan. Some of those people are right can sell their business, maybe play landlord and maybe sell the entire thing on it. A lot of my clients, for one reason or another, though, really, they might have got something for their shop, but really, they made all their money from the actual real estate of it. Hey, maybe when you bought it, that was in an industrial area. Now you're in the center of a huge neighborhood. Seen it. Maybe you bought that before there was even anything else around there, and now it's been building up and building up like crazy. Maybe you're in a good street corner, or maybe it was kind of a busier area, And now one of these big gas stations are wants to come in and put their station on there. These guys have deep pockets. A couple hundred thousand dollars is rounding errors for them. And they really will make someone's life change pretty quickly. Now, that is for the landowners. If you're leasing it, yeah, your landlord might need to buy out your lease. But hey, check for a hundred grand for you to move it, especially if you're kind of later in your career, is not going to be very helpful. Biggest thing to think about here, or really any time that you are selling a business, or really, I guess, selling anything, is who approached who. And my client called me up and said, Hunt, what should I do here? And I'm not going to really go down and give you the exact thing to do, because I don't know either. I see this stuff a lot, probably more than most anyone, 
but I don't know what to do here in every single specific case. But selling a business, sometimes frustratingly so, can be a lot about posturing. I always tell people it's a long back and forth. You're sweating it out, just like buying a house. It's so cryptic. Oh man, what do they think? Are they accepted? They really have other offers on it. A lot of this stuff could be done with five-minute conversation, but there's a whole song and dance to it, and that can be used to your advantage. But anytime that you're selling your business, keep in mind who approached who, because that is going to be your biggest thing to be able to negotiate on, or maybe the other party's biggest reason to negotiate on. Because think about this, if you would like to sell your business or you need to sell your business, then the big question that the buyer is going to ask is, well, what is it worth? All right, you're asking this much. How did you come up to that value? How are you proving that your business is worth that much? Because more or less, you're the one that approached them. Hey, I need to sell this. If you need to sell this, you want to sell this, then now we're at the fair market value approach. How did you come up with this? Now, on the other hand, if someone comes off the street and says, hey, you know what? They're building this stadium here and I want to buy this. Then you say, okay, how much are you willing to give me? Well, what do you mean how much am I willing to give you? How much you think your business is worth? That's not really the question here, sir. I'm happily running my business. And here's a little quick aside. For these guys' situation, you are the happiest business owner in the entire world. You don't want to play your hand here. Hey, I could do this forever. I never planned to sell this. I wanted to be buried here. And you guys can bury me here unless the number is right. And as soon as you kind of go with that position on it, then you've already come in from a place of power. Hey, you know what? Even fair market value is not going to get me out of here because I know that if I really wanted to, I could sell for fair market value. But I did, and I'm here working. In order to get me out the door, here's my number. And they might come back and be like, man, this thing is not worth that much. You could say, hey, I never said it was. You asked me, hey, would you be interested in selling your business? And I would say yes, under the condition that you pay me a ton of money, essentially, here. And if they come back and say, hey, you said $3 million. This thing is worth $1.2 million. It's like, okay. Hey, if you don't want to pay that, that's fine. I'm going to get back to working on my business and you guys have a great day. And pretty quickly, they'll come around and say, all right, we got a 45 million, we got an 85 million, $185 million project here. A couple hundred thousand dollars is not going to be the difference between us being able to do this or not. But realistically here, what would you do in this situation? At the very least, they are buying your business. Regardless of what they want to call it, regardless if they're going to buy this thing down, Hey, you're buying my real estate. I know you're only interested in my real estate, but essentially I'm giving up my business because I'm not going to reopen. It's going to shut down. So you need to pay me for what that business is worth. Real estate's worth a million bucks. Business is worth 600,000, which I'm essentially just going to have to walk from. So I don't care what you call it, but you give me $1.6 million. If you want to say you're paying $1.6 million for my building for tax purposes, you guys would probably be smarter to say you're paying a million for the business or a million for the real estate and 600 for the business and writing off the business as soon as the bulldozer comes through. But either way on this, you approached me. I did not approach you. So if you would like my business, even if you're going to throw it away, you write me a check for $1.6 million and I'm going to write off into the sunset. Generally, that is the bare minimum. Hey, I'm not going to discount this just because someone really wants this. Now, If they play hardball here and these guys can play hardball, you got to be careful. I'm not going to say go in this with the hubris that nothing can go wrong. These guys generally have a lot of money and usually for a reason. They're shrewd business people. They get it. And I've seen some clients try to get smoked out. I've never seen someone successfully done it. Now, if it's the state, if it's the county with roads and stuff like that, yeah, they'll smoke you out. They don't care. But generally for these private investors and stuff like that, they don't want to sweat on money. They just want to get this project moving forward. And if it's going to take another half a million dollars, they'll write to check and be done with it. 
But at the bare minimum here, I don't care what you're doing with it. I'm not going to give away my business. You can pay me a full amount just like anyone else would. And whether you want to keep on running it, whether you want to close it down, you paid for it so you can do as you please. Realistically, what ends up happening is I talk to my clients and I say, I don't know. What do you think? Just pretend someone walks off the street and says, hey, I have a blank check right here and I'm willing to make a deal in the next minute. You got to tell me what number it is that I could give you and you would walk out that door. Pick a number out of the sky of like, hey, everything that you need to retire, because that's really what this changes to. It is no longer, hey, what is this business worth? It's saying, hey, I'm about to be looking at retirement here, maybe in the next 30 days. So how much do I need? And they think to themselves, all right, I need this much to pay off my house. I need this much to pay off some other debt that I have. I think my financial advisor says I need this much for retirement on it. Boom, 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 boom. All right, $2.5 million. $2.5 million, I know I could retire. Now, the first thing I always tell my clients, and it's something that you should think about too, is remember that number. Remember that number and remember what it was. Because sometimes people do get a little bit greedy here. Because then someone comes and offers 3.2, then they're like, oh man, I should try to get 3.5. Hey, remember you already said 2.5 was the number that you need. They say 3.2. I'm not saying don't negotiate, but don't kind of keep on pushing the goalposts farther and farther back. Now, could you scare these guys off? Sure. Just like any deal on it, if you shoot too high and they don't think that there's really any sort of reasoning with you, then yeah, they're going to probably just walk. Are you going to offend these guys? Are they going to act like, oh my God, how could you ever? No. Remember, they approached you and they know that. It's all in the way that you word this. Hey, you guys want this? Great. Be happy to sell it. Be out here tomorrow. I need $2.5 million. I don't really want to get into the whole song and dance of this. I know that you guys are going to close this down. So you probably don't even really care what my business is doing. I'm just telling you, if I need to retire and I need to retire in 30 days, that's the number that's going to take it. If you guys want it, great. If not, I'm going to go back about my day. Does it always land on that number? No. I guess this is happening, like I said, more and more every day now. And over the last six months, I probably had two of these deals for not specifically building a stadium, but one where more or less, the business was not going to be viable going forward. In both of those deals, the person said, okay, that's fine. It just didn't even know negotiating whatsoever. They didn't have time to mess with it. Sure, we'll write the check and both of those closed in 30 days or less because they don't really need any due diligence time. As long as the title work comes back clean on the real estate, they want to get this project moving and they've said, great, we'll sign it. Realistically though, there's usually some back and forth. I wouldn't probably go out there with my bottom line number just when they offer something. That's not their top figure. Hey, if you ultimately need to end at 2.5, don't start your negotiation there. Someone always wants to kind of feel like they got a deal. Now, if that is your bottom dollar, then be honest with it. Hey, I need 2.5. Don't come back with 2.4. Don't come back with 2.45. It's 2.5 or don't do anything about it. And if that is the case, then stick to it because that's really what you need. Now, all of these are tricky here, but the moral of the story is who approach to. Remember the position that you're in and be very mindful of that because that's probably the most important piece out of all that stuff that I just said. Last one here is a bit of a shorter one, but again, something that has really been a changing landscape since I've been doing this and sounds super old saying that, but I do feel old sometimes. I have been doing this for... Not full-time, but in some capacity, 17, 18 years now, which is really crazy to think about. But one of my first clients I have, no longer a client, he sold, bought out, got bulldozed like eight years ago. But he was in downtown San Francisco. And I'm not super familiar with downtown San Francisco, so don't crucify me if I kind of butcher this one on San Francisco. 
up. From what he told me, he started this, I believe, in the 50s, 60s. He was up there when he finally sold it. But he started this in an area in San Francisco that was right next to a landfill. And he said, honestly, it was hard to get people to come down here because they were scared. It was dangerous. It's kind of funny because some people, eh, we won't go down that. But it's a changing landscape over time. And flash forward to today, and by me today, eight years ago, when San Francisco was absolutely booming. Nowhere to live, more money than people knew. Someone came in and said, hey, I'd like to buy your shop. He said, great. Started asking some questions. And they kind of just said, hey, we'll stop you right there. We're going to give you an offer that I guarantee you that you're not going to refuse. You can sell anything off. You can do whatever you want because we are literally going to come and bulldoze this thing. Sure enough, they did. They just put up condos there where his shop is. And the moral of this story is there are a lot of places around the country that we just don't see shops anymore. Even in my short time that I've been doing this, I do not think I have a single shop in downtown San Francisco where at some point we had three or four. There's a lot of places around the country where it's just no longer viable to operate a shop. It's too expensive to operate there. And there's also a handful of places around there where you just cannot get a business license to start a shop. Hey, you know what? I want to start my shop here. There's this beautiful building on Main Street. You go to the local planning board or the county and they say, we're not giving you a business license. We have kind of a plan of what we want for the downtown. We want retail. We want restaurants. We want this. We want that. We don't want an auto repair shop there and you're not going to be able to open one. So what does that mean if you have a shop on that Main Street? You know you're not going to be able to sell to someone else because they're never going to allow them to operate there. Or same thing. What if you're thinking to yourself, man, if I was to really charge fair market value rent, there's no way someone else could operate this shop. It just wouldn't be viable for them. What do you do in this situation when, again, your shop truly is worthless, but hope to God that you own the real estate because the real estate probably is not. And a lot of times there's an inverse relationship. If your real estate is worth a ton, probably is not a good thing for the value of your shop because it means the rent's going to be massive. Now, on the flip side of it, if real estate is very cheap, some of those are my most expensive shops to buy or sell because they make a ton of money. What would you do in this situation? Whether you know that someone's not going to be able to run a shop in your location for one reason or another. So really, I guess there's kind of two different ways to look at this. And the first one is, let's say that you're older, what the real estate worth Let's say that you're older and what the real estate is worth is now plenty for you to retire. I'm not investing in new equipment towards the end of this. I'm not overly concerned about what I report on my taxes. Since none of this is really going to go along with the real estate. I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to take care of my team. I'm going to be open and honest with them to a certain degree about my intentions. And if one of my team wants to go out and open up their own, hey, great. Let's start a plan to get these customers out of my door and into your door. And I've even seen this happen while my client was still open to ensure a clean handoff. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be open with you guys. You guys probably know this. As soon as we leave here, they're going to put a parking garage. They're going to put a condo. They're going to put who knows what here. But we know no one else is going to run this shop. I'm 73. I'm going to walk out. I would love to have a place for my customers to land. And I want to have a good place for you guys to land too. Hey, if you want to go out and start something, great. I just don't have it anymore. But I will be your biggest fan. And like I said, I've seen a lot of my clients do some pretty cool things knowing, hey, I just don't have it in me to move again. But you know what? You do. And I'm going to be your biggest champion here to make sure that you're taken care of. And so is my customers. And these deals can be pretty good because like we were talking about before, hey, real estate's worth enough. Man, I'm going to get everything paid off and be happily into retirement. And even though my business is quote unquote worthless, it's still going to work out okay. 
Let's go to the other side of the coin. Let's say you're younger where that is just not enough money. You're still going to make out like a band on the real estate, but it's not enough for you to ride off into the sunset. You're going to have to do something else. You're going to have to go work for someone else. But hey, if you've worked for yourself for a long time, generally going to work for someone else is just not an option. Or what if you don't own the dirt? What if your landlord is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to still honor your term. I'm still honor your lease. I just can't renew this. You know that these guys have been hounding me to bulldoze this thing and sell it to make this new neighborhood or whatever it is. The time is ticking. This takes time. And if you are, let's say, six months from retirement age, the real estate better be enough or you just don't have any options. And if you do not own the real estate and you're six months away from retirement, I don't want to be mean to anyone, but hey, shame on you for not having a little bit of foresight. And I don't think this episode is probably enough to save that one. And I doubt that there's many people in that situation. You've known this. People that are in these areas know that it's in the areas and are hopefully making game plans to do something different, just like this. Three years out or more, less is possible, but generally the more time, the better here. But you want to be able to move your business. That is the only way that, you know, your reputation, your workforce, your equipment, your financials are going to be viable because you know at the current location, they're not. None of that matters because it's just a real estate. So if you want to be able to have a saleable business, hey, great, sell that real estate, make some money, move it somewhere else, and at least operate it for a couple of years to be able to prove a track record. You're moving your shop somewhere that will be viable for someone else to come in and run your business. Your customers will follow you to a certain degree, especially if given enough notice and are close enough to your other location. But by having those three years under your belt, you'll be able to prove to a prospective buyer that you've made it work. And who cares if you've been doing it for three years or 30 years? Let's be realistic, though. If you're going and you're trying to sell just your reputation of, hey, you can move this down the street, you can do this. A, moving is extremely expensive. And B, even in a perfect situation when it's still you, the owner, it's still tricky to figure out how many of your customers will follow you or not. And definitely a buyer is going to build that into their price of that uncertainty if it's really going to be all that it is in your current location when you move a mile down the street. To wrap all this up, selling a business can be stressful enough, but thinking of all the angles here can sometimes mean the difference between squeaking into retirement and riding off into the sunset with a fistful of cash. And this will probably be the largest financial deal of your life. Don't you think that you deserve a little bit of foresight beforehand? Do your research, take your time, make the right move for you, your family, and a team that counts on you every day. So I hope you enjoyed this. Please share this with friends or anyone that you think could get value out of this. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for a future episode, please shoot me an email at podcast at Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradio.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. Thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.